Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached when I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom. I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 399. Man, we're one week away from 400. Wow, I didn't know that. How about that? Episode number 399, Woodsmanship with Doc Weddle, and I am your co-host, and the guy who is now at 10 and 1. 10 and 1. And I'm your co-host and the guy who's got some stout stuff in the mail. Oh, no. I don't believe I know this. I want to... Oh, your I, your lure came in. Dude. I pieced it together now. Yeah. No, that... A, I found out that I'm not even really supposed to use that unless it's, like, super cold out. And B, the reviews were correct. It is stout. It it is in a bottle, in a plastic ziploc, wrapped in paper, in a box. And when you when I opened the front door to grab it, I could smell a skunk. It's unbel- it, It's a hundred percent pure essence of skunk, is what it is. Mm. I I had I just left it outside. I can't. I mean, I don't even know how to store it. Like I don't know where you put it. I put it in like four more ziplocs, and still, it, it, you can't mask it. I mean, you can't. 
do you impossible. need to freeze that? I know some of those lures and stuff you need to freeze and some you don't. I don't have a clue about I'd be scared to put it in essence. my freezer. I feel like all my turkey breasts would smell like a skunk. Huh. I, I never heard anything. It's called Hellfire, I think is the name of it. So if anybody has any experience with a coyote, it's called a long call lure called Hellfire. It's pure essence of skunk. Let me know how to store that, please, because, oh my gosh. It, <laughs> I, I'll never order it again just to be merciful on the, the great UPS driver who is the turkey master of Earth. So I, I don't want to offend him, but it was brutal, man. If you're going to cause him to put in for relocation, I get first dibs. Yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will give him a free mortgage if he moves to the Birmingham area and picks up my route. Yeah, uh, I'll do anything in my power to keep him. I just, I can't order any more of that stuff. I mean, it, it's pretty brutal. So that's, but you're 10 and one. I don't know what in, but that's a good record for the most, well, most if everything. It, if it was a record, it would be a good one. So I am 10 chipmunks and one squirrel. All right. You added a squirrel to the mix. Yeah. And I realize that squirrels are equally as bad as swimmers as chipmunks are. <laughs> I don't know why you don't just use a freaking pellet gun, but hey, whatever whatever tickles your fancy, I guess. Pellets are expensive, man. <laughs> I can reuse the same cooler of water over and over and over again. That's that's something. I don't know. I, I think my two-by-four method from college was quite possibly the most lethal <laughs> of anything, but... I don't, have we shared that? Uh, we don't I, need I've to, but have we people. shared it on the show? <laughs> Basically, in college, I interned for Andy. So I was I was an intern for his mortgage company for my finance class, which one of my daily duties was to check the trap line. Very important to finance. And we were he was you were catching quite a few coons. Oh like, yeah, it was pretty consistent. You'd have a coon in that in the traps back there, and so <laughs> like the first one, you were trying to kill it with a pellet gun, and like. The pellet gun just honestly didn't have enough torque to to make a really clean first shot, you know, kill of the raccoon. Not the way you want to do it. Yeah, so I just picked up the nearby 2x4, and with, you know, I I just played baseball for about eight years of my life, so one swift swing of the old 2x4, I mean, it sounds gruesome, probably looked gruesome. That was the quickest, most painless death any creature's ever suffered. So that became the preferred method of kill for the raccoons. And then, Andy, you did a write-up for me of my summary of working for you in college that you had to write a summary or something email to the professor. And thank the Lord you didn't send it to him because the first summary you wrote, you know, in detail spelled out me killing raccoons with a two-by-four as part of my my job every day there. So, but... But hey, it worked. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen uh, the movie Inglorious Bastards, but I pretty much was the bear Jew. I was I was using the two by four on raccoons. Though. Yeah, two by four at the base of a skull is a knockout. Yeah, I mean, it sounds and looks terrible. To be completely honest, I'm not going to go tell a bunch of PETA members that that's how to dispatch a trapped raccoon. I think just, you just have. Well. I don't think many listen to us, to be completely honest. But I'm not going to go share that on Instagram of me whacking them over the head with a 2 by 4 because I don't want to arm the antis. But it is an effective, very effective kill. 
I need to see if I can find the review or the write-up that I did for you at the end of your internship to give to your professor. And I need to read that on the, on a show sometime. I think that would be worth doing. It was hilarious. It was excellent. I remember literally like hurting ribs from reading it the first time after I was made aware that you didn't actually send that in. Thank the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Oh goodness. Well, man, we've got, as you know, just an incredible show. And this is going to be show number one, guest number one of our woodsmanship series that we're doing. And we're going to have two more awesome guests to talk about the topic of woodsmanship after today's show. I don't want to sell this one short. I don't want to make it end for you any sooner because he's always just awesome to talk to and is very generous with his time. If you guys don't have his books, you're missing out. We didn't ask him how the listeners can get his books if they don't have them. So, Cameron, can you share that for him since we didn't ask him to share it for us? Yeah, I mean, the easiest route is just hop on Amazon. It's called Turkey Tales, T-A-I-L-S, and Tales, T-A-L-E-S. So Turkey Tales and Tales from across the USA. And there's two volumes, volume one and volume two. So if you look those up on Amazon, you can get them there. Or I know he's mentioned in past episodes, I don't have his address handy, but you can also just reach out to him directly. He is on Instagram and Facebook, I believe. And so you can just reach out directly to Tom Doc Weddle and ask to buy both of his copies. I would personally suggest reaching out directly to him and getting a signed copy of both editions. Yes. That's what I would do. Yes, and I believe he has both hardback and paperback options. So you can kind of get over that with him. But I would I would suggest getting a signed copy. I just always like getting that little personalized piece of the author on that book. And, and I mean, talking to the guy that's, as we're going to hear today, going to complete five Super Slams next year. So <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'd get his signature on the front page of it. It's just be a cool memento to have anyway. So Absolutely. Do that. Do that. They are excellent reads. I mean, they're if you like, you know, stories about turkey hunting, and you'll learn a lot along the way. It's not a how-to book. It's just stories about his travels around the country and the people he's met and the turkeys he's met. Those are some of the most fun books, in my opinion. So it's a really good one or two. Yeah. yeah. And if you think you can't learn something from someone who's killed at least five turkeys in almost every single state in the U.S. that has turkeys. Well, then probably are listening to the wrong podcast this week. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure you can, and I think we should just jump in it, and let's roll with Doc. What do you say? Let's hear from Doc. We'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. Cameron and I are glad to tell you we have on the phone with us today the one and only Doc Weddle. And Doc is what? This is going to be your third or fourth time on the show, Doc. And man, I'm just third third time. I'm just tickled to have you. I I love talking turkey with a just downright turkey addict. So I've been called work. Good to be with you guys again. Looking forward to it. Well, appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to come on and talk to us and share some of your knowledge with us. And I've got a question that's just eating at me to ask. So if you're ready to get into questions, I've got a thousand of them. Lay it on me, brother. How did the season go this past spring? Oh, man. 
man. It was it was as good as it could possibly be. Really, it uh, it was man. It was everything everywhere I went, everything went smoothly. There weren't any long dry spells. Nice. Turkeys answered calls and came in, and it was great. it was great. I ended up hunting eleven states and uh, called in a bunch of turkeys. Man, we had a blast. Very nice. That's awesome. Sounds like my year. I, I had one of those years where everything went right. It's funny how it, I know. I've got, it I alternates. Kept, I kept track of you. It looked like you were just stacking them up everywhere you went. It, Like you said, it was just one of those years. It was like if I picked a spot on the map, it just happened to be the right spot. <laughs> so yeah. Next year, it might make up for it. I might maybe picking the wrong spots, but this year was... Right. I'm going to have a good year this year because I'm afraid of what's going to happen next year. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you just never know. Sometimes you get on those streaks and it just keeps on rolling. Yeah. Well, if it's going to alternate years, I need to go ahead and make some room in the freezer for next year. (laughs) How was your, Andy? How's your season going, Andy? It was pretty rough, man. It was. Really? Well, well, let me say it this way. Number one, I was very blessed to even have the opportunity to go. So, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate in that respect. So I'm a lot better than a lot of people that listen to the show that have very limited opportunities to even get out in the woods or have no opportunities to get out in the woods. And I had a lot of opportunities and it was tough sledding in Alabama this year for me, just mm-hmm. not hearing birds at all. And I know they were there. I know they were there. They just were not gobbling. And, but out of state, I did pretty well. So, you know, for me, that's really what i what I care about at this point is getting that super slam finished or, you know, continuing on my route to getting that finished. And so I can't really complain about it. I like to moan and groan a little bit just because it's fun, but you know. Yeah. Well, we all, we all got to spend a lot of days in the woods and that's, that's really the only measure of success as far as I'm concerned. Everything else is just good deal. Yeah. So that's, that's for sure. That's, that's one of the only metrics I really keep up with. I keep up with how many turkeys I hear gobble and how many days I get to go hunting. So that's right. How many days I get to go is the ultimate measure of success. (laughs) Break the record there. I'm a, I'm a happy man, you know? I got 70 days, and how about you? Nice. You got me beat. I think I had 55 this year, which no complaints there at all. Well, I got got a few bonus days because I went to Hawaii. Oh, yeah. There you Uh, go. Andy and I may be doing that in uh, 2023, so. Well, you will enjoy that. Good to hear. Yeah. I think I was pretty close to Cameron. I I was in that 50, 55 range. I, I actually have not even looked at that. But I know I was pretty close to 35, 36 days in Alabama and, you know, got some extra days in other states. So I should be close to that same number. So good it was deal. it was good, man. You know, just wishing it was going to start tomorrow and not end. Yeah, we're in that we're in that uh, down period, that long, long, long down. <laughs> Counting them all. <laughs> 244 according to my board. <laughs> Something that the last two weeks up here have all been in the, the days have all been in the 90s. It's still June and it's in the 90s in Indiana. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's been a blazer everywhere. I think Tennessee and then Andy, you're probably getting it the worst down there. So yeah, it's, it's pretty hot. It's been on another level. No doubt, no doubt about it. Have you heard any Polt report stock? Uh, they're trick ones. I haven't seen any myself. And I'm, that's kind of surprising me because I got a bunch of turkeys right around my house, and I've seen some gobblers wandering around um, in the last couple of weeks, but I haven't even seen any hens. Um, 
I've talked to several people in the last two weeks that have seen some polts, and they and they're pretty good reports. They seem they acted like there were a bunch of them. Good so deal. I'm, I'm hopeful. We got a lot of uh, right there in Hatchin, so I was, I'm a little worried. But like I say, uh, it sounds like we might have had some production. Good deal. I've I heard from some. Actually, I heard from a game warden who checks with our WMA managers, and they reported good stuff. So they were reporting about a four to one ratio, which is excellent. So wow. They, yeah, that's good. Yeah. They saw three hens with thirty-one poults on one place, and two with twenty-four on another. So that's that's pretty big. Uh, yeah, that's good. Heck yeah, yeah. yes. That's that gave me some hope. We had the seventeen-year uh, cicadas that came out, and. Uh, Last year, we our polls did great. We got oh, that was people. same here. I mean, I think that was what it was was that uh, brood X cicada hatch or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and not the, only did the poults eat, but everything that eats poults had something to eat besides. Yeah, that. So everybody was happy, and our turkeys um, benefited from it. Yeah, that's a that's been my theory on why last year was such a boom, and and we also had a mass invasion of army worms here, which I'm sure they enjoyed eating as well. Yeah, for sure. Good. Good. So maybe we maybe we were after a few dreary years, maybe we're on the rebound. That sure would be nice. I gotta tell you. That would be encouraging. <laughs> yeah, no we, doubt. We need a good couple good years. Yes indeed. Well good deal. Well, we're going to start a new series today and so what we've been doing. Well, what we started doing when turkey season ended for us was in the past, I kind of hesitated doing any repeat topics because, you know, I just wanted to cover new new topics. And I had some people reach out to me and say, well, why don't you do a topic on this? Why don't you do a topic on that? And I was like, you know, I'd respond to him and say, well, we've already done that. It's on episode such and such. And then I just got to thinking, you know, we don't all hunt the same and we don't all have the same experience level. And just because you may live and hunt in Indiana and I live and hunt in Alabama, we don't necessarily hunt the same, but that doesn't necessarily mean that what you do there won't work here and vice versa. So I thought, why don't we get three or four guests on individual episodes to talk about the same topic? And we finished one up here recently that that's was hunting hinned up gobblers and man, I thought it turned out really good. And one of our, one of our listeners said, well, can you guys do an episode or do a series on woodsmanship? And so I thought that's really good because, you know, it's such a broad topic and it, you know, learning some things about woodsmanship from different hunters who hunt in a lot of different states and different terrain and different scenarios would be really good to have them on the show and let them share their experiences with us things that they've learned and it can't help but make us better hunters for everything that we hunt whether that's old squirrels or woodchuck or yeah whatever (laughs) turkeys deer elk mule deer i mean everything so we just want to kind of pick your brain on that you know you I think as of as of right now, and it's probably something that'll stick for a while, have more super slams than anyone that we know of. And I think as far as being registered with the NWTF, you've got the most there. So, you know, you, one thing well, no, that... I haven't, I haven't registered any of the NWTF. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, I, I believe you, Doc, on your numbers. So, we'll... <laughs> <laughs> We'll operate <laughs> under the assumption that you didn't write that book, your books from fairy tale. 
Yeah, I, I'm with Cameron. I have no reason to doubt you. I, I haven't gotten <laughs> a single bird registered with NWTF either, so I'm with you. But I, what, in talking to you in some of our previous calls, you mentioned that, yes, you've got a lot of kills in a lot of duplicate states, but you typically try to go to different areas each time you go to a, a state to try to mark that one off on the next Super Slam. And so... Yeah. Someone with that kind of experience and someone that's put themselves up to that kind of challenge has to have very good woodsmanship, whether it's just as simple as doing some scouting at home using maps or boots on the ground. And then once you get in the woods, you got to pretty well know your way around those woods, even though you've never stepped in them and, and know what you're looking at, know what you're contending with. And then you've got the challenge of what wild turkeys throw at us every time we go out, which is, you know, one of the things that we always love to do is do battle with a turkey. So we want to pick your brain a little bit on some woodsmanship and well, where you want to, where you want to start Cameron? Man, I mean, woodsmanship, doc, would you agree? You think woodsmanship is probably the most important ingredient for a successful turkey hunter? Woodsmanship is a hard uh, term to define and it, it encompasses a lot of, of different uh, skill sets and knowledge um, it and it's acquired over your lifetime. You know, I think I think my woodsmanship skills certainly started when I was squirrel hunting with my dad when I'm no taller than his knee. And uh, it's learning about the critter behavior, uh, environmental factors. You know, just so many different things. Yeah, it's hard to define, but but very very vitally for sure. Yeah, yeah. Would you say? One aspect of woodsmanship in my mind is just how you carry yourself through the woods. Uh, do you Absolutely. do you have anything specifically that you like, you know, maybe always walking in the shade or, you know, things like That's, that? No, you, you hit it right on the head right there. Um, yeah, keeping, keeping in the shade, using the contour to move through the woods. Try not to be detected by everything in the woods. Um, trying to blend in with the woods as much as we can as humans. You know, trying to be part of the of the animal community rather than just a just a visitor walking through, and yeah, that's that's uh, stepping where there aren't sticks. You know, and I've got a good friend of mine from Florida, and and uh, we hunt together quite a bit. And I I accuse him a lot of times of just carrying around a, a handful of half inch sticks with him when he's hot, walking behind me because he's always breaking sticks. And I said, well, you could just walk where I walk, and then I don't have to listen to you breaking all day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's moving through the woods quiet and, and trying to, you know, it's like that old um, adage that when you throw a pebble into a still pond, the ripples create all kinds of things on down the road that you don't even know. When you're alerting animals in the woods, chipmunks or whatever, they're, they're barking at alarm, blue jays, what have you. So you're trying to trying to keep that all to a minimum. It's, um, yeah, using, using the shadows, using the contour, uh, trying not to alert other animals. It's, it's uh, you know, trying to think like the turkeys and what, what they're going to be doing, where they're going to be feeding, um, what, you know, what time of day it is, what what part of the season it is, what's the weather. The weather is a huge factor, a part of woodsmanship. And that all, like, it just comes from, from spending a lot of time, you know, and, and think, trying to think everything through and uh, yeah. the reasons why things that goes on yeah I, I feel like squirrel hunting which you know is where i started and a lot of young people yeah. start out there that walking and not stepping on sticks that's where that was learned for me like 
you know, what, but also at the same time being able to keep your eyes ahead and above while moving. <laughs> I mean, that's a, sure. that's a learned skill. Like that's not, you yep. don't just show up and do that. <laughs> and squirrel hunting is still one of my favorites. And, and uh, I still value my time in the squirrel woods. And uh, boy, it was, it was, it was, it was number one when I was a kid. You learn, like you say, you learn a lot of, a lot of how to get around in the woods by trying to get around quietly, sneak up on a bushy tail. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we hear the term running and gunning a lot when yeah. we're talking about turkey hunting. What yeah. do you have typically a method of running and gunning, or do you kind of adjust that to the situation, the circumstances that you're in in that particular area that you're hunting? When I hear the term running and gunning, I think in a, I think a guy's you know moving quick down a woods road or down a ridge line and yelping every hundred yards until they find a turkey that gobbles. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't do that a whole lot. Um, I'm more methodical in my movements and subtle in my calling, I guess. I mean, I I can get loud on a call and try to fire something up, but I don't typically do a lot of what I would call running and gunning. Uh, yeah, when it's time to find some turkeys, you've got to cover some ground. And, uh, but you're always, I'm always looking for sign as I'm going. I'm not, I'm not just out on a seek and destroy mission to try and find something that's goblin. It's learning, learning the land. It's again, again, woodsmanship, learning the lay of land, learn, learning how the turkeys are using it, um, trying to find where they're at. So yeah, I do cover some ground when I'm new to an area and, and uh, trying to find birds. But um, as soon as I find them, it goes into slow, uh, slow down mode real quick. My, my whole game changes once I find turkeys. Yeah, I've, I basically do the same thing. In a new area, I'm, I'm covering some ground. And, you know, one thing that I've learned is that, and oh gosh, Cameron, was it, yeah, it was Brett Collier that we had on the show that talked about how hunters hunt. Yeah. Was that episode Yeah, him yeah. and uh, Elena Garretts. Yeah. Yeah, and they did a study where they tracked hunters and they showed like 80% of the hunters stayed on the roads and stayed on mm-hmm. the roads and you know that was the easiest way for them to get around and that's how they got around and and you know I can just see in my mind hunters walking down the roads stopping and calling and so turkeys know that. I mean they do. They, they know where that call is coming from to the pine straw needle that that person's standing on or the oak leaf that they're standing on. And when they hear that noise up and down that road day in, day out during, you know, for, for 40, 45 days of the year, they know that that's where that's coming from. So I try to get off the roads personally. And I'm like you, when I find some sign, I'm, I've completely, my game changes. And especially if I can find a, uh, gobbler track then okay i i may and sometimes i think i spend too much time in that area you know because i don't know if that bird's got hens or doesn't have hens or he's been killed yesterday or this morning before i got in there but you know i i really slow down once i find turkeys so you know i'm i'm kind of like you in that respect and you know uh, cameron i'm i'm not gonna say that he won't slow down and hunt because he will but <laughs> i don't know about that. One of those, he's gonna cover some ground i do know that so i kill a lot of two-year-olds <laughs> you kill well, some birds with some hooks too now these knees i've got are kind of forcing me to 
to change my way, my wicked ways. <laughs> I don't cover the ground like I used to be able to when I was young because uh, my knees hurt. <laughs> yeah, uh, It's not just like going uphill, but going downhill is torture these days. So uh, okay. I have I definitely changed my style a little bit in the last couple of years. Yeah. yeah. What do you, if you're in an area and you know there's turkeys there, male living turkeys, maybe it's a private block that you can hunt that you know only you can, or you heard them there yesterday or whatever it is. If you don't hear any gobbling, but you, you're going to hunt these turkeys, kind of what's your strategic take on hunting a, a silent turkey? Because I feel like that's when you have to be in, I mean, apex woodsman to kill a, a turkey that's not gobbling. <laughs> yeah, that that's the hardest. That is by far the hardest way to hunt turkeys because I, I've i got radar ears and always have, and I, I depend on turkeys saying something. It's kind of like, you know, we're both out there playing the game. He's playing it for higher stakes than I am, but we're both playing the game. If he doesn't want to play the game by the rules, which is he gobbles and I hear him, then, you know, the, the game changes. Maybe I'll go my game somewhere else. But, uh, yeah, silent turkeys are the, are the toughest thing in the world. Uh, and I don't know, it gets really hard when they're not, when they're not saying anything. Uh, but, I, you're, you know, you're, you're still out there at dawn, you're listening, and you hear a hen yell or, or birds fly down or, or drumming. You know, I've found a lot of turkeys in my life by walking around slow and listening for drumming and spitting and drumming. Sometimes you'll just hear, and that's all you need to hear. And so that's hard. Again, you're looking for the densest conglomeration of sign that you can find. A bunch of scratching in the woods is a great place to sit up for a while. You know, if you can find these strut marks in a dusty road, you've been there once, there's a pretty good chance he's in the area. I sit for at least an hour, you know, an hour or two, just calling every 15, 20 minutes, light calling. It doesn't work often, but it does. Well, you'll have turkeys come sneaking in. Um, just trying to, and if there's nothing going on, then I'm easing through the woods trying to find something. Unless I know previously, say there's been a gobbler in a in a pasture for the last three mornings in a row, or the farmer tells me he's always there at the same time, I'm going to be there. But if I don't have any fresh intel, then it's then it's kind of trying to seek them out you know trying try to make something happen a little bit but but i not in a raucous way because i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to show the, the, whatever turkeys are around i don't want to show them everything i've got on the first day there so i'm not walking around cutting as loud as i can that's my last resort you know i'm mm. even around just yelping a little bit maybe maybe get a maybe get a hen to yelp back at you it's hard silent turkeys are hard no doubt about it yeah, it's hard to keep it's hard to keep the confidence up when, when uh, you're not hearing anything too. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't claim to have killed a whole ton of turkeys, but I've killed several. I honestly don't ever remember just blindly setting up and calling for a half hour and killing a gobbler that way. That never made a sound. There have been a number that I've killed, but um, they're not not a high percentage for sure. Yeah, I after several years, I I finally was like. This is a low percentage odds. <laughs> if I can move, I'm moving. <laughs> well, it also depends on where, where you're hunting. You know, if you're hunting in a, in a, in a the, what the weather's been. If, if, I'm, if I'm hunting in a place with oak leaves and it's been real dry, well, you can ease around and listen for turkeys scratching because they're going to be scratching. And scratching is yeah. not the same thing as squirrels or anything else moving through the woods. It's rhythmic scratch, 
scratch, scratch, scratch. And so you, you're listening. I listen to I found, I can't tell you how many turkeys I've found hearing them scratch. Oh, yeah. Well, it's loud, especially if they're down in like a bottom and you're up top. I mean, it is loud how, how loud that oh, can yeah. get echoing up through there. Yeah, yeah. It's all, again, it's all part of woodsmanship and, and knowing what to look for and, and uh, pay, paying attention. Uh, yeah. That's a big part of it is paying attention, knowing, knowing what to listen for and paying attention and listen for and look for and just paying attention. Keep your eyes and ears open. Yeah. You mentioned weather and, you know, how that might affect your approach or your game plan on the birds and that being part of woodsmanship. Yeah. you have any yeah. tips or suggestions yeah, on how okay, we might so, be able so. to... To utilize that. So silent turkeys are, like I say, the, the toughest thing in turkey. And well, wind is the is the is the most uh, worst kind of, of environmental you know situation you have. High wind takes my ears out of the game. So what do you do on a windy day? Well, where are turkeys going to be windy day? They're probably going to be on the lee side of a hill, down in the down in the bottoms. If they're if they if you've got that option around, you know. Um, Maybe out in a pasture, uh, but somewhere, somewhere they're at least protected, or they, or they feel safe. You know, they're not going to be in. They're not, probably not going to be right up on the top of a ridge, and they're probably not going to be you know, someplace where in close to close to heavy cover because they can't hear either, so, and they know that. So, yeah, use use that kind of uh, the, uh, weather to your your advantage, or at least uh, try to think like a turkey and try to figure out where they're going to be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That that's paid off for me several times because that it's super windy. Oh, that that leeward side. I mean, you can, in my mind, I effectively will rule out everything on the other side or or north south, whatever it is, and and get on that leeward yeah. side, and yep. they should be there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Same thing with a rainy day. If it's a uh, moderately heavy rain, uh, you know raining steady uh, they're probably going to be out in the field or, or in near an open spot they don't like to really stand out in the woods and listen to all those raindrops dropping all around them it freaks them. i think it freaks them out they just hear they hear too much it's like i got good hearing when i'm in a crowd of people and all, all these people are talking i can't hear one individual person talk because i hear it all i think a turkey's the same way they get in a in a woods where it's where the, a lot of raindrops fall and i think it deafens them i think that they, it makes them nervous Every leaf crunch is a coyote sneaking up on them, so then all of a sudden they're just looking everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're a little paranoid. I don't know if you picked up on that. (laughs) You you would be too if something was trying to eat you every day of your life. (laughs) That's a Tuesday in my world, Cameron. Yeah, uh uh-huh. You had a question for Doc before I interrupted you. Well, that that actually pretty much summed it up, but I I was kind of going that same route, I, I guess. To me... The calling a turkey, when you get to the stage of calling, putting yourself there through woodsmanship is, is kind of how you get to that point usually, you know, and what do you, Doc, how close do you like to get to a turkey? You know, some people say they don't want to be too close, you know, but are you one who you're going to get as close as possible? Uh, everything equal. Um, you're not too close until he cuts and runs off. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I love, I love to get close. The closer, the better. Because turkeys operate sort of a bubble around them, and, and that bubble's ever-changing. Some days it's 40 yards and 10 yards. Some days it's 200. And he's going to, whatever's in that bubble, he's going to answer or come to investigate. Um, so I, I'm always 
you never know what that bubble is going to be. So I'm even easing around, trying to get in a good position, trying to get in the best, um, you know, a place where he's where it's favorable for him to come to. You know, uh, if he's up on a ridge top, I'd love to be up there on that ridge top with him. Uh, they will come downhill to you. Don't ever let anybody tell you they won't. But uh, yeah. if you're on your level or above him, generally the best spot, unless you found some place earlier that tells you that he likes to hang out in that bottom. Um, you know, just try to get it, try to get as close as possible. Um, I used to, whenever I'd root the bird, I used to get in, go in really early and get in really close where you're looking up at that turkey at 30, 40, 50 yards, you know, and, and shoot him when he flies down. I don't do that nearly as much anymore. I like to sit back a little bit, you know, maybe 100 yards. Um, mm-hmm. You can get away. You don't have to sit there like a statue for hours until he decides to fly down. Uh, you can move around and be a little more comfortable. When you spend 70 days a year uh, in turkey hunting, there's only so, only, so, only so many hours when you can sit there stone still. <laughs> so yeah. you got to move around yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, the closer the better, up to up to the point where he's spooking. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, if he putts, you've definitely gotten too close. I think that's an easy. Uh, yep. That's a that's a good good thing to to know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I had a question, and it's just completely lost my escaped my mind, which is not strange or or unusual these days. So I'm trying to I'm racking my brain trying to figure out what it was. It was really good. I mean, it was it was like wow, that's <laughs> that's the best question I've ever been asked. Revolutionary about turkey hunting, yeah. There you go. Yeah, it, it was the thing that when you answered it, everyone listening was going to be like, "Holy cow, that is the missing link." This success that I've been rate on. countrywide doubled on turkeys immediately. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. probably better you forgot about it. Yeah, could be. Oh, okay. So going back to weather. What I've obviously I've noticed, and I'm sure a lot of people have, that turkeys, especially gobblers, don't like to be out in the bright sunshine when it's 85, 90, 95 degrees. And we do get some of those days. On those hot days like that, hot, sunny days, where would you start looking for a bird, say, you know, late morning, midday, something like that? Well, that kind of depends where you're at. Um, I, 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 I Generally, I would agree with you. But in Florida, it's just the opposite. You'll yeah. find those gobblers out there at 1 o'clock in the afternoon out in the hottest part of the day out there strutting in a pasture. And it's like, why are they even out there? They're black and they're sucking up all that sun. Why would they even do that to themselves? But they do. I can't, day yeah. after day, I'll find turkeys out in the sun. So I don't, I don't, I don't even bother looking. Now they'll also sit out in the middle of the pasture underneath a lone oak tree and sit there in the shade for hours too. They'll just stand there. And uh, so that's part of the, that's part of the answer too. I'm looking for deep shade. You know, uh, in most parts of the country, I'm trying to find a deep shade where turkeys can stay for a little while. They'll noon around. They'll. Spend a couple, three hours doing nothing, laying down, taking a nap, or just standing there preening, standing on a log, just looking around. They just, they just hang out, and uh, before they start back into the feeding patterns, say three, four o'clock in the afternoon, they start moving around more. But there's a little time in the in that early afternoon, say from one o'clock to three or four, where they don't do much generally. Uh, Again, it's all, it's different in Florida because we see a lot of turkeys moving around all the way up from one to two o'clock. So it just uh, just depends on where you're at. Know your terrain, know your turkeys. Different turkeys act a little bit bit different. Yeah. 
That's for sure. I was hunting in Alabama. Well, I was going to say one time. <laughs> that doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> but I, I was hunting and hunting with some friends. And he, one of the guys owned a little piece of property we were hunting on. And he had a field. Part of the property was, was just, you know, an old cow pasture. And it had not gone completely fallow. But there was a tree, one tree out underneath or out in this in this little pasture area. And we spotted these turkeys out in the field, out in the pasture. And so we made our approach, got around to an area where we could use a terrain to get as close as we could get to them, start crawling and, you know, staying just underneath the rise and and trying to come out to where that, that little ridge towed down into the field and the turkeys were down at the bottom of that toe. We got around there and there were no turkeys. We're like, where the heck did they go? Well, one of the guys had already killed a bird that morning. So he's just sitting back. He doesn't have a gun. He's not hunting. He's just sitting back on the fence line watching the turkeys. And, you know, if, if they had left the field, he would have hollered or walked out there, or, you know, called or crow called or something to get our attention. He hadn't made a sound. So we start just kind of looking around, looking around and, you know, easing up a little bit, get a little bit of elevation, try to find these birds. Well, it had started sprinkling about the time we started crawling. And it, it was just a very light rain, wasn't really much to it. And, you know, we'd been watching the weather all day and it didn't look like it was going to be one of those that just set in. It was just a little passing shower. And I got completely uh, on my feet, standing up straight, standing in this pasture, looking around and I can't find these turkeys anywhere. So I took about four steps off to my left towards that tree and I made just enough up that ridge to where I could see the bottom of the tree and those turkeys, because it started raining, had gone and were standing underneath that tree to get out of the rain. Yeah. And that was eye-opening to me. You know, if it had been a downpour, I I would have said, okay, well that makes sense. But just a little sprinkle and they walked over there just to get out of the rain all there were like five hens and, and two gobblers standing over there or something. You know, there was, it was not like it was just one or two birds. And so, you know, that taught me something there, you know, just they use cover like we do, you know, so they're a lot smarter than we are. So I don't know why they wouldn't. And their needs change all the time. There was uh, one year down in Florida, um, the gnats, the buffalo gnats were just horrendous. And, uh, oh, if you had any exposed skin or, or or you didn't have a, ma- a mesh net over your head they would bite your eyes till your face just swelled up where your own mother couldn't recognize you they were terrible and several times that i watched in the middle of the day fly up into the tallest pine tree they could find and just sit up there for two hours in the middle <laughs> of the day trying to get up in the wind and get away from this gnat uh, the one that yeah, wow. did kill that year his whole head was just a scab where he, he'd just been chewed to death by all those gnats. And my buddy put out a decoy, and he said within a minute, the whole head of that turkey decoy was black with gnats. Wow. So, yeah, they do some odd things. I've seen turkeys in the middle of the day up in the tree just picking buds or, or just, just sitting there, and just right up in the middle of, in a big old tree. So, yeah, they, they do some weird things, but um, it's good to have enough experience where where you've seen them do enough things where you, where the things they do don't don't just shock you and awe you sometimes where you, you're waiting on I don't know you're just gonna nothing nothing surprises you nothing surprises me about turkeys I've seen a lot <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I, with those Osceolas, I haven't hunted them nearly as much as you have, but I observed that this past year when I hunted them that, you know, like Andy, I, I always thought that turkeys, when it's super hot and sunny, would be more in the shade. There were some gobblers out in the middle of this field that I swear if I'd killed one, he would have been ready to be eaten. Like, they had to be on fire. I don't know how he wasn't cooked. It was so hot. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just miserably hot, and they're just out there just staring into the sun, like wings open, just, just taking it in. I mean, they wanted it, but... It, I just couldn't believe it because I, I haven't seen Easterns do that in Tennessee. Like usually late May when it's super hot like that, they're they're in a creek bottom, you know, drinking out the creek, trying to stay cool. Yeah, and a lot of times they do. They seek, they seek that nice cool shade in the bottom because it'll be 20, 20 degrees different there sometimes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've had that experience several times in Alabama where hot day and they are in that bottom or even in the creek because yeah, yeah. You, you know you get down in that creek and that water's cooler and mm-hmm. you know just being springtime from runoff or whatever and it's it is noticeably cooler in there to to us and so if that's the case you know that the turkeys have got to feel that and you know experience that and that that was one of the things that you know when I when I read it in Joe Hutto's illumination in the Flatwoods, he talked about the turkeys had preferred areas, you know, and, and they would go and just spend two or three hours a day in those areas, just loafing, hanging out. Yeah. You know, and, and it and it makes sense that it would be areas like that on hot days that they would just, you know, that's a preferred area. Let's just go there and, you know, pick around a little bit, that- get something to drink stay cooler and that's a good place to go and check for us when we're trying to find birds midday i think a lot of people don't know how how much time of a turkey day is spent just loafing and doing nothing just hanging around not in a hurry to do anything they're on they're operating on turkey time time of course and uh, they got nothing better to do their crops full they sort of just sit around and digest some food yeah well why expend energy and potentially run into a predator when you don't have to. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They only move around to, for, you know, for, for a purpose. Yeah. Breeding or eating or flying up to roost. Yeah. That's, That's, That's right. about it. Yeah. About it. I've, I saw him in Missouri. This was trying to think of the time of year. It was early May and the wheat fields were up knee high. And when it would get hot about 10 or 11 o'clock, they would go into the wheat fields and just sit down in the yep. in that cool grass. And you could, and we did this. In fact, we killed a turkey this way. I hate, I almost hate to say that on the show, but we slipped up to a wheat field, just you know, using the terrain, just being real quiet. Slipped up there and started glassing, and we saw two red heads in the wheat. Backed off, got down in the bottom, circled all the way around, got up to where we could make our approach our approach and come up real close to him got to within 40 yards of him and stood up and when we stood up of course they stood up and you're like all right long beard boom you know <laughs> i mean it's not it, it's not the way that you have it drawn up in your mind when you wake up in the morning before daylight of you know calling one in off the roost and shooting him when he's strutting and gobbling into you but when you when you have a tag to fill and you're out of state sometimes a man's got to do what a man's got to do <laughs> bingo <laughs> wheat field whacking that's what yes, that yep. take it but yeah i mean that's and after you shoot one like that you're like okay well why and you put your hand down there on the ground and it is 20 degrees cooler right yep. there on the ground because it's rained 
The ground's shaded, it's cool, it's damp, it's 20 degrees cooler there than it is just air temperature. And so little things like that, you know, we have to pay attention to. There again, woodsmanship, learning learning things like that. Yeah. 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 Was there anything in your turkey killing or hunting career that when you learned a, a certain thing about the woods or about turkeys that you noticed a significant, you know, improvement in your hunting? Mm. Wow. That's a wow. That's an That's easy a, question, I'm sure. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is what's um, going to get cut from the show, by the way, Doc. This is going to be a secret <laughs> that Cameron and I take to our graves. <laughs> well, I think the easiest answer to that would be just realizing that you're not going to scare a turkey with your call. And, and, you know, and having the confidence to just go ahead and call. Because you're not going to run him off. You might He might not answer. Or he might not come in. He might might pay you no attention at all. But when you're a new turkey hunter and you're you're scared to call, you're tentative, and I uh, just realized that realization that that whatever I said wasn't gonna, what I say isn't going to affect the outcome in a negative yeah. way. It might affect it in a positive way. Yeah, that is true. When you're when you're newer to it, or I mean, even good ways down the road. I remember, you know, you think when you call and they don't answer, maybe you can see him and he's walking off the other way. You think, oh, I scared him off, but. He's probably just going that way because he's going that way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's well, I don't know. You didn't hear me call when I was younger, so it, it may have scared him off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think, just your personal experience, that we as humans are either born with a good sense of direction or do you think it's something that we can develop? Oh, oh we are definitely born with because I have a terrible sense of direction you can sit me down and anywhere you want and i and unless i'm looking at the sun at a, at a known time of day like either dawn or dark uh, i don't know what direction i'm facing i've got a terrible sense of direction uh one of my buddies though you could spin him around in the dark and sit him down and he'll tell you north north south east and west right off the top of his head it's definitely wow. innate yeah. hmm. do you think and I, tried to, I tried to learn you know i tried to teach myself because i see it as a as a severe character flaw in myself, but I can't do that. It's, ag- it's aggravating. I'd love to, help, but I don't have it. Uh, I I agree with you. I, I think it's a, a huge weakness when it comes to woodsmanship, and I'm I am with you. I don't know. I wouldn't really classify myself as being terrible, but I'm not excellent at it. I can say that, and I have noticed <laughs> that, or at least in my mind, I think I've gotten worse as I've gotten older. And I don't know if it's because I've just gotten to where over the past 10 years, I rely on my phone and the maps on my phone so Thank much mm-hmm. that I don't have to rely on my, my, oh, the force, so to speak, for all you <laughs> Star Wars fans well, out there. I've got a bad sense of direction, but I've got a great sense of, uh, if I walk a piece of ground, I'm going to get back out. Um, you know, I, and I, of course, I used to hunt a lot of what lot was just with a compass and a topographic map. And, uh, you know, set me down and I'll walk 10 miles back into the mountains someplace where I've never been. And, and, I, and I've, I've walked the, the route once. I've got it in my head. But mm. east, west, north, south evades me. So I'm yeah. evading. I think, I think the natural ability to do that is going to be a dying breed because, A, if you need oh, to drive yeah. somewhere now, you got Google Maps telling you where to go, and B, Onyx, if you're out in the woods, same deal, or, or Hunt Stand, or whatever you're using. So I don't think I don't think generations to come are going to have that natural ability in my mind, just because, I mean, like, somebody tells me where to 
you know, to drive north and then turn east and go south. I'm like, why are you telling me this? I'll just plug it in Google Maps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And people today don't know. If you put a map, map in front of them and say, point to where I'm at, most people can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that, that totally, skill set's totally going to. That's the way we used to do it. You know, we'd sit and study topographic maps for hours in the evenings, uh, just a dissect. It uh, looks like a good ridge right there. It's, you know, a beautiful finger ridge. It dumps out over five, five or six little finger ridges up above the creek bottom. There ought to be turkeys there, whatever. That's a little opening right there. There's a spring. There's a, a annual creek, you know, whatever. And uh, so, yeah, well, I love to study maps. Maps are maps are uh, a big part of my testimony. used to be yeah not so much anymore this this uh onyx it's falling over on me too i'm i'm as bad as the next guy using it. <laughs> on it. well a little easier to carry the phone in your pocket than the the topo, topo map for sure still have to you still have to be concerned with it raining whether you have your phone or topo map that's right yeah don't want either of my, those getting wet well you're a samsung guy my iphone is is waterproof to an extent so oh here we go yeah <laughs> Doc didn't sign up for the Samsung <laughs> debate, Samsung Apple debate, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I do feel like my reliance on that on Onyx or on Google Maps or, or Google Earth has diminished my sense of direction. I know it's diminished my ability in being able to remember phone numbers because I don't have to, so I don't trouble my brain with oh, it. Yeah. And I used to be able to remember any phone number, so for now sure. I don't even don't even I, I know mine and i know my wife's and that's pretty much it so yeah they've changed the world yeah yeah no doubt about that no I, i've also noticed you know cameron you mentioned it you know about driving i've also noticed that i used to be able i could i could drive somewhere one time and i could get back there again no issue now if i drive somewhere it's like i haven't paid any attention to what i've driven by to any of the mm -hmm. landmarks or anything else yep. and now you know I'll, I'll have to use a google maps to get me there three or four times before it sticks i still drive i still carry an atlas with me when i'm driving across country and i refer to it a lot and, but but i catch myself just going by the phone you know or my or my gps and too many times that's it's taking me the wrong route. It's dumping me off someplace where I don't want to be or, or where I can't get out of. So I still like to have that atlas. I like to have that map right from me where I see where I'm going. Yeah. The other thing yeah. that's good for is finding alternate routes. That's right. Yeah. I can yeah. Uh, honestly say I don't know that I've ever even touched an atlas. So. <laughs> really? <laughs> You're missing out. As much as you like maps, having it on paper, oh, man, yeah. that's... Oh, yeah. I do miss that. I do miss that about Onyx because when I did first start Public Land, is before all that came out, and the the paper maps were really cool, drawing on them and you know playing in that way. That was kind of neat. I think those paper maps of WMAs, at least for the state that I live in, are horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I drew them. <laughs> yeah, some states are pretty bad. Yeah. Oh, it's hard to even find topographic, and when you do, they're really expensive. I I bought all you know hundreds of topographic maps back when they were a buck seventy five or two and a quarter, uh, and shoot now they're seven, eight, ten dollars if you can find one at all. Yeah, that's yeah, that that is true. Well, 
As far as woodsmanship goes, do you have any further knowledge you want to bestow on us on the topic of woodsmanship? Mm-hmm. I can just, the more time you spend out there, whether you're turkey hunting or not, just spend time out in the woods and, and just just try to learn anything you can. Anything you can pick up is going to be valuable down the road. You might use it. Um, just keep your eyes and ears open and pay attention. Yeah. I think that's uh, bottom that's, line. That's the best advice I've got. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I and, wouldn't apologize for that. That was good advice. And where did your, you have a, a guy you hunt with, I think he's younger. You said he was going to be the youngest to do the Super Slam from up in New York. Has he finished? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my route this year, I, I hunted and guided down in Florida for a month, and then I I drove to Louisiana and I killed a bird there, and then I, I bought, bought 200 pounds of boudin, which is about my favorite food in the world. And I drove all the way home to Indiana, put all that in the freezer, and I drove <laughs> right back down past the same route and went to Texas. And then I hunted uh, Texas and Arizona and Colorado, and then I went up to Wyoming. And at that point, Trevor was getting ready to – Trevor Bays, his name, uh, he's like a son to me, and he was getting ready to finish up his first U.S. Super Slam in Rhode Island. So I, he wanted me to be there if I could, and I said, man, I, I, I would I would jump over heaven and earth to get there for you, buddy. So I took off from Wyoming and drove straight through to Rhode Island. Wow. And, uh, we, went and we hunted together, and he killed his bird. So, yeah, he's 28, finished up his U.S. Super Slam, and that was just, man, it was magical. It was an awesome hunt. It was an awesome experience to be there and share it with him. It's really special for us both. So, yeah, that is done. awesome. That's awesome. And you are you're working on your fourth one. Is that right? Yeah. So when I left Wyoming, my plans if, if Trevor was hadn't killed his birds enough birds yet to, to to get to his last state, I was planning on stopping in Missouri. I'm one state shy of my fourth, and that's Missouri. And then I'm uh, four states shy of a fifth. Gosh. Nevada, Wyoming, Arizona, and North Carolina. So, yeah, uh, I should get all those out of the way next year. Dang, so you're going to hit four and five next year. Yeah, I'll finish with that's, Hopefully. That's hopefully awesome. I'm still alive. I hope so, too. That's, it'll be our loss if you're not. <laughs> yeah, it'll be my loss. Well, the, <laughs> Ultimate, yeah. the turkeys may be happy. Yeah, yeah. Turkey, turkey will definitely uh, for their game if I'm not. Yeah, yeah. The the nationwide the turkeys will have a day of celebration, no doubt. Breathe a sigh of relief. Yeah, the the van will be slowed finally. <laughs> That's oh, all. Be... A long time before they can breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I hope so too. Well, that's. That's awesome. I'm glad Trevor got it done. And he he's a, he's from New York. Is that right? If I remember right from your book. Yeah, he's, he hails from New York, but uh, he's living out in Kansas now. He's a, um, a waterfowl guide out there in, in Independence, Kansas. Uh, right now, he's guiding for crappies, catching the heck out of huge crappies out there. And then mm. uh, he guides fall a little bit for for deer, but mostly for waterfowl. And guides a little bit for turkeys, but uh, in the spring, but mostly mostly hunts for himself. Yeah, great Kansas. Kid. Right Kansas is pretty much the dead center of the U.S., so that works out well for turkey travels, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's the new hot spot for duck, duck hunting. So if you know anybody that wants to kill ducks, come call some of ducks out there because they, they, really, they really put them down. Wow. Good out That's awesome. Yeah, they, they get a lot more ducks over in that area now than we do on the Mississippi Flyway, it seems like to me. Yeah. 
yeah it's a it's a hot spot oh that's cool well good deal thank thanks doc for taking time to talk with us we will definitely have to check in after you get the fifth super slam next year that that will be something to celebrate for sure yeah it's always a pleasure talking certified turkey killers and i always enjoy talking to turkey well coming from a man like doc weddle i'll take the certified turkey killer designation and i'm putting that on my tombstone so (laughs) i'm typing that up right now i'm gonna put can i send it to you to sign and i'll put it on my mantle (laughs) (laughs) doc Doc weddle certified that's right (laughs) that is right man this is fun yeah, thank yeah. you for your time. It's always great talking to you. Hey, you guys. You guys are welcome. Anytime. Anytime at all. All right, buddy. Have a good one. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye. All right. Goodbye. You know what was surprising to me? What is that? Hearing him say that he has a terrible sense of direction. Yeah, that is true. You you would think, you know, I don't know. I don't think I have a very good sense of direction, to be honest. But I don't know why, especially with Doc. I know he used a lot of topos and paper maps like he talked about. I just kind of figured he would have had that sense of direction. But the good news is there's hope for all of us then. Exactly. <laughs> He's murdering turkeys and doesn't have a good sense of direction. So that's good. Exactly right. Yeah. 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 But excellent interview. I just always, A, shocked at how good the guests are we get on the show. And B, always learn something. So I just, I overall really enjoyed that. I mean, Doc is as far as super slammers are concerned, has to be the, the guy. I mean, he's the legend of super yeah. slammers. So he's he's pretty much dedicated his spring for no telling how many years now to traveling and hunting a wild turkey for 60, 70 days, which is, you know, impressive. Yeah. And, you know, it's really impressive, too, and I mentioned it during the interview because he's mentioned it before, he's not going back to these same areas and hunting the same turkeys so to speak you're yeah. out here you know yeah, that's true trying trying to kill in different areas in these states that he's already been to you know once or twice or well we know it's been more than once or twice because he's going on super slam number four so but just you know that to me is extremely impressive it's impressive if someone completes a super slam period but completing four and about to complete or about to complete four and five next year, God willing, that's super impressive. And then just going to different areas and doing it is, you know, speaks volumes to me. So yeah, one of the the best of the best and just super, super nice guy, all around good guy and diehard turkey fanatic. So yeah, our kind of peeps, man. Yeah, that's, that's the kind of folks I want to hang around with. That's for sure. Yes, sir. <laughs> Yes, sir. Absolutely. So good deal. Hope y'all go pick up his books if, if you haven't been convinced already. But I would definitely suggest again go get his books and yes. check it out. And we've done some past episodes with Doc as well that were fascinating. So if you enjoyed our talk with him, you might look back in the archives and find some of our past episodes with Doc Weddle. Yeah. And I would recommend if you do want to listen to those rather than scrolling through almost and actually, we're over 400 episodes just because we've taken some over the years and cut them into two or three parts. So yeah. 
to keep you from having to look all those up through, you know, to scroll through all of those episodes that we've done over an eight year period of time, I would recommend going to Google and just typing in Doc Weddle Turkey Hunter podcast. And those other episodes with Doc should show up and then you can just scroll to that particular episode number and enjoy. So yeah, easiest way to do it. Yeah, that would be, that would be the way to do it. Do you have a favor of the week you want to launch out there for everybody this week? I do. So I've been thinking about something and I want to hear before, before I start digging and ask Cameron to help me dig, I want to hear from you guys as to whether or not you would participate if we did this. So what I've been thinking about really kind of goes back to Mossy Oaks turkey stamp that they did this year. And the reason for doing it, we all know is to help turkeys, but I guess I should say that's the purpose. The reason for doing it is because so many states are not doing it. So yeah, they're trying to get us turkey hunters to raise some money for wild turkeys by buying these stamps. And it got me to thinking, there are so many states that do not enlist the help of the public, hunters and non-hunters alike, in doing brood surveys. So what if we put together with the help of say a Brett Collier and Mike Chamberlain a brood survey and had you guys who are the listeners participate feel free to share it with anybody and everybody now this would be for next year not for this year yeah and we then take the results from that and either give them to Brett, give them to Mike and let Mike and Brett disseminate those to the appropriate biologist in the appropriate states that are, that we've had people participate in. Yeah. Basically a, a nationwide brood survey, but, and you just, you know, I saw one hen with three poults in New Hampshire or whatever it is. Is that, that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. And you know, like, well, let's use New Hampshire as an example. They probably, because a lot of the northeastern states are really good with this, they probably have their own brood survey that they do within their game and fish department or Department of Wildlife, whatever it happens to be called up there. And, quick Google backs you up. They do. Okay. <laughs> and so I'm not trying to step on toes because we don't want data being collected in two different places, two different ways. I'm talking about for the states that don't have it. Yeah. A lot of your southeastern states don't have it. I don't know about the western states. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I just know that a lot of northeastern states do have it. So just wondering if that's something that you diehards listening to the show, because you're listening in June, you're a diehard, if that's something that you guys would participate in and want to do for us or Chamberlain or Collier or whoever it might be to share that information with the biologist in your state. But we've got to have enough people who want to participate because it's not going to be, you know, oh, here's what Andy said he's seeing in the state of Alabama. And, you know, one person share that with the biologist, you know, or have one person's observations being shared with the biologist. That's not going to get it. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if there's enough interest out there by you guys listening to do something like this. And it may be that that we need to repeat it in January, February when the listener numbers come up because there may be quite a few people who do just listen to the show. Well, we know that. You and I know that by looking at the stats. There's way (laughs) more people who listen to the show January, February, March, April, and May. And so 
you know, it might be that we have to ask that question then, but I'm just curious from the diehards if that don't have a brood survey in their state, if it would be something they would participate in if we did it and kind of sponsored it. We could, it'd be very easy to do. Yeah. Survey monkey, I think actually is, you know, would be a, a way to do it. So, yeah, I, I honestly think there's easier ways to do it than the way a lot of states even have it set up to, in my mind too. But yeah, anything, uh, any data that we can provide that could, you know, paint that picture for biologists more so I think is important. So if you're in Tennessee, by the way, they added a wild turkey observation survey this year. So if you're Excellent. seeing turkeys in Tennessee, make sure you do participate there because yes, they added that this year to for the summer months. It's going to be from June 1 to August 31st. So you can do that through the mobile app or whatever. But if you see turkeys, poults especially, make sure you report that in Tennessee. That would be great. But yeah, I'm with you, Andy. I think that's a great idea. So basically your favor of the week is provide some feedback on that idea. Correct. Okay. And when you provide that feedback, and, and I'm going to tell you how you can do it here in just a minute. When you provide that feedback, say, my name's John Doe. I live in X state. Perfect. I mean, just that easy. You know, yeah. yes, I, will, I think that's a great idea. I will participate. I mean, two sentences is really yeah. all you need to send. You can message me on IG or Insta if I'm being really cool, the Turkey Hunter podcast, or you can shoot me an email, andy at iamturkeyhunting.com. Either one of those ways would be a good way to, to reach out to me and let me know your thoughts on that. So Nice. CC me on that email as well at cameron.weddington at gmail.com. Cameron.weddington at gmail.com. So do that. Yeah. Good favor of the week. Hope y'all enjoyed this week's episode. We will see you next week for number 400. Yes, sir. With another legendary turkey killer. (laughs) For sure. No doubt. Have a happy 4th of July, everybody. Happy 4th of July. and Be careful, be safe, and enjoy independence. God bless America. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.